0: Hello and
1: welcome to the 16th episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. Ah, it's fun to say that again after so long. I'm one of your hosts, the Ernie Shag, and along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. And together, we're known as the Pied Pipers of the Manchildren, and we're the proud members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How you doing, buddy? It's been two years since we talked to each other. I only have one question, Shag. What the hell is Digest Cast? What is this? What are we doing? <laughs> so pull back the curtain here, folks. Every time Rob and I have an open <laughs> slot in the schedule, every time we're like, what should we do? Should we do a who's who? Should we do whatever? And I always go, How about a digest cast? <laughs> and you can see in typing, Rob rolling his eyes somehow, like, oh god. Oh. And finally. He came forward with an idea, so now we get to do Digest Cast. Forget the fact that I've suggested it hundreds of times. So, why do you tell the people at home why it's been two years, Rob?
2: Okay, well, this shows a lot of
1: work. It really is. <laughs> it <This laughs> shows is a, a pain in the
2: ass, work. folks. <laughs> Anyone who has, outside of the Marvel Digests, which were you know like forty pages and featured like two stories, most of the ones that we cover, of course, are from DC because that you know that's sort of the preeminent publisher of the Digest format, and like the smallest digest is like 60 pages. That's the smallest one. Most of them are 80, a hundred, and they feature five stories, six stories. And that's recapping ten
1: stories. A lot, of them have, a lot of them have 10 stories.
2: Some of them. I mean, right. I'm right. That's even on the light. Really? Yes. Yeah, some there's even more than that. And you know, it, I, I will say as I get older, <laughs> you know, I just, my time, my tolerance for writing, long story synopses and i try and make them as short as i can just i just i don't have it in me as much anymore to sit (laughs) there and be like okay i'm gonna write you know again we're doing 10 you know i'm gonna do five story synopses and i've always been slightly dubious about the whole notion of even doing story synopses because i feel like i don't know do most people really want to hear that but then it feels weird to not do them so uh, these these shows are just a lot of work and so case in point I'm going to take the hit on this one cuz I deserve it. The way we do Digest Cast, if anyone remembers, is at the end of each episode, one of us says what we're doing next. Each one of us gets to pick one and we we trade off. Last episode, it was my turn and I decided to go big and and, and said that we were going to do the Archie Superhero Digest number 2 cuz contrary to what I just said about DC, Archie did do some superhero digest not obviously they do lots of the RG digest but they also did some superhero ones and I thought that's a fun offbeat choice because they did superhero comics in a kind of weird way that'll be fun to do right well <laughs> I dug out that digest it has like 24 stories <laughs> in it. <laughs> and again not this is not a knock at all at mike's amazing world because it's an amazing site but like even mike's amazing world doesn't have references for these stories for a lot of the stories because mm. I mean, how do you even know and so it just was like a year like a year would pass and i'm like i just the sheer amount of legwork it would take to source all these stories their creators the story set synops- up they're not and The other thing, half of those stories, more than half, are not reprinted anywhere, which means I have to read them from the digest. And my 51-year-old eyes have a tough enough time to do (laughs) that. It was just like, okay, I know I promise this, but we can't do that. I can't. I just can't do it. So we decided, all right, let's do digest cast. But we're doing something different, as you can see in the show notes, because the the Archie one just broke me, everybody. So I apologize.
1: Let, let me add something to that. I recorded with somebody, a good buddy the other night. And I, he, when we were talking, he's like, man, you really put me to work here, you know, having to do story synopsis for stuff. And that was just one episode, right? Or one mm-hmm. comic. And if you think about it, folks, you, you guys listening at home. A large chunk of you are either bloggers or podcasters yourselves, or have been guests on one of our shows. I mean, I've seen who writes in the comments. Most of you are involved in one way or another. You know what a pain in the butt it was to do one comic recap. Imagine doing 10. Imagine doing 24. Oh, my gosh. It is. Yeah. So, uh, this, this idea Rob came up with for this episode is a great... Idea. It's not to say we're not going to go back and do something else, because I, I still love doing those, uh, you know, oh, years comic sure, stories. Sure, sure, we'll sure. do more of them. But it just... We needed something that we could follow our passion with, and that's where we got here today.
2: I, I felt very bad that we had gone so... I didn't realize it had been
1: two years. I felt <laughs> the, really the pan- bad. The pandemic was just getting started.
2: Seriously. <laughs> um, I, I felt really bad that the show had been dormant for so long, and so we were like, alright, let's bring it back, but we'll we'll let's find a way to do something Fun and maybe a little offbeat, so that's why we are again. If you saw the show notes, you realize we're doing funny stuff, which again Woo-hoo. we're going to tackle in a slightly different manner than we've been doing to this point.
1: Uh, you, oh, I was ready to synopsize all thirty four stories in here about <laughs> nutsy squirrel and explain the punch I, uh, the punchlines.
2: <laughs> I, I really wasn't ready to type about uh, Peter Porkchops does this, then Peter Porkchops does that.
1: Just, <laughs> no. No. So, yes, we are covering Best of DC number 37 in entitled Funny Stuff, one of the, I think, four Digest that had funny Orp, stuff yeah, in them. They did four yep.
2: funny stuff, yeah.
1: But before we get too deep into that, folks, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of Digest Cast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, as Rob said, this one's going to be kind of different. We're going to actually spend some time talking about some of the creators behind this. And it's interesting, when you go back to the 50s, like when these stories were done, these guys weren't just drawing funny books. They had other jobs. They were working in animation, they were working in commercial art, all these different types of things, because they had to pay the bills. And so what I picked from In Stock Trades was a really interesting book called Comics Ad Men. And th- this is a book that sits there and focuses specifically on the comics, the cartoons, the illustrations, and things like that from famous comic book artists, but what they did for advertising, not for superheroes. So it's got folks like Jack Davis and Al Cap and John Ramita and Mort Meskin and Ross Andrew and Sheldon Moldoff and-, and Neil Adams and tons and tons and tons and tons of people. So it's a really neat idea. It's published by Fantagraphics. Uh The guy who put it together is named Steve Brower. And the page count's 140 pages. It's full color, soft cover, uh, and it, it goes on in stock trades for twenty one dollars and twenty-five cents. And this just sounds so cool. Especially for me. You know, I, I come from an advertising, marketing kind of background. So I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. It looks really cool.
2: I'd never even heard of that book, and it did look really neat. I looked at the link, I thought, wow, that's a that's a fun that's a fun collection. <laughs> yeah. That's really yeah. neat. Uh, and I actually went with something sort of similar Um that most of, as we'll talk about, most of the creators in these stories are not credited, uh, you know, at least at the time. I mean, some of these stories have been sourced, but obviously one of the creators that everyone recognizes is Sheldon Mayer. Uh, He Mm -hmm. does the cover for this very book, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So I wanted to do – I wanted to find something on Unstucked Trades by Sheldon Mayer. Unfortunately, none of the Sugar and Spike stuff is in stock at the moment, and so there wasn't a whole lot. But I did find – like you, I found something really offbeat. This is called Comics About Cartoonists. It's from IDW. It's 192 pages. It's a hardcover. And it says, What's cooler than comics about cartoonists? Nothing. You're going to read comics about cartoonists by these top cartoonists. And listen to this lineup in this book. Mm-hmm. Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, Jack Cole, Dick Briefer, Windsor McKay, Chester Gould, Sheldon Mayer, Milton Kniff, <laughs> Ernie Bushmiller, Basil Wolverton, Siegel and Schuster, Will Eisner, Elsie cigar and Harvey Kurtzman. Wow. Plus other material by Charles Schultz, George Harriman, and a comic about Walt Disney. It says, this is a who's who. Hey, there's another phrase that popped out of me, uh, of great cartoonists drawing superhero, horror, funny animal, uh, funny people, war and romance comics, but about cartoonists. I, what a neat idea for a book! I can't imagine how many publishers they they had to get the rights from to do that. Right, this. right. But it looks really cool. The normal price is thirty nine ninety nine. In stock trades price is twenty five ninety nine. You save thirty five percent. So that's this sounds like a great companion book to the admin book. You know, it's kind yeah. of about guys from a certain era. And man, what what a lineup of talent across these two books.
1: And that's so cool. That sounds so fascinating and interesting. And I and I do have so much respect for these guys because again, they're they're out there cranking out Everything they can, anything with a pe- with it needs a pencil, you know, they're doing to make a living. And, uh, they were real renaissance men back then. Really? That mm-hmm. sounds so cool. Wow. Yep. Well, folks, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with, uh, your Patreon support. Cause, you know, running the Firewater podcast network, so many shows requires a whole lot of online hosting and other services and fees. I mean, just think about how much it costs just to host Digest Cast and how frequently we put it out. I mean, oh my gosh. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses. Truthfully, we did. And we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows like DigestCast or any of the other shows in the network, the best way to help support our show is by visiting our Patreon. What's that address, Rob?
2: Patreon.com slash FWPodcasts.
1: While you're there, please consider supporting the Firewater Podcast Network, and at certain tiers, you'll get mentioned on your shows of choice. This episode, our thanks go out to...
2: David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton.
1: And again, just visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash F. W podcast. All right. So here we are, Rob. Best of DC number 37. Funny stuff. Um, now, it, it, it's interesting. I did some math on this because I was curious. So, Best of DC ran 71 issues. And the more majority of them are superhero digests. Even though all of us feel like they were doing goofy stuff from now and then, there actually wasn't as many as we all feel like. Um, the way I, I counted them up, and I came up with just about four digest each. for uh, Four for Binky, four for Sugar and Spice, and four for Funny Stuff so uh, it's kind of shocking that there aren't as many of these goofy ones as we thought there were and then i looked in the blue ribbon digest and there weren't any sort of funny gag ones at all uh, did it, did you also have the impression there were a whole bunch of them or you probably all this committed to memory
2: yeah well i mean i have i do have a, a complete collection of all the dc digests so yeah i was aware that it's not as many as you might think but they that was a decision that they made later on to kind of do this I, I the one thing i do remember is, and we covered this years ago when we did our DC sampler, mm-hmm. a mega episode that was like five hours long with Diablo Frank. I remember. And, uh, yeah, we got completely punchy by the end of that, but there's an ad in, I think it's the third DC sampler for the, the DC Blue Ribbon Digest. Mm-hmm. And it's got an ad talking about that, it, you know, what it features. And it's like Superman. And it's like, and every other month, funny stuff. And, and it mixes the funny stuff characters, like on like a, on like a train with Superman. And Superman's reaction is thanks heaps. And I just, I remember, I I remember that. Yeah. That yeah. They, yeah. They had Superman kind of being sarcastic, like, Oh, great. I'm sharing a book with the funny stuff characters. Like, I kind of can't believe they got away with
0: that. I got away <laughs> with it.
2: i just, you very rarely see them at that point have Superman kind of openly mock <laughs> the other stable right, characters. Right book, so I remember that ad so explicitly, but, um, as we'll get into in a moment, there's a reason why you didn't
1: we didn't see more of these. <laughs> Well, tell us about that. So you've got some cool insider info here that I just can't wait to hear. Yes.
2: Yeah, so, okay. Uh, back when I was doing, uh, blogs, uh, willy nilly, like I do podcasts now, uh, I had podcast, I had blogs about a lot of different subjects. And one of them was digest casts, uh, Di- excuse me, digest comics. And it's actually called digestcomics.blogspot.com. Now, over the years, unfortunately, all of, uh, almost all of my blogs have been, uh, attacked by digital pirates and been taken over. And all the material is basically scrubbed from the internet. So all those years of hard work, uh, mm. gone with the tide, but nobody has done that to digest cast yet. I keep saying digest cast, digest comics yet. So you, the site okay. is still up. Oh, it's, again, it's called digest comics dot com, And I just basically profiled every digest that I could get my hands on, but I did do one interview. I like to do interviews. Uh, obviously I like to do them for my podcast, but I like to do them for my sites as well. And I did one, one interview and that was with the late, great, uh, Nick Cootie, a famous writer and editor and among uh, kind of a jack of all trades kind of guy. He spent, he's most famous for. Co-creating E Man with Joe Staten. Oh wow. Uh and when they worked at uh Charlton, uh he was a big, big Charlton guy for many for many, many years. And then he came over to DC and he did like this stuff for Warren. He had a great, great career, loved kind of old timey stuff. And he passed away just a couple of years ago. And but I did get to interview him. I, I kind of knew him as an acquaintance, and I, you know, <laughs> I wrote him. And was sort of like, you know, it's a weird thing to ask. Hey, can I ask you about editing Digest comics? Yeah, <laughs> <what a weird laughs> but but he was very nice. And he we did an ex- kind of relatively lengthy interview about his time editing the Digest. And I went back and I said, geez, I wonder if I even asked him about the funny stuff. And I did. So I pulled part of that interview out, which I'm going to read now because we can get a little bit of background as to, like, how these even came about. So this is what I asked. I said, uh, publishing funny stuff. And Jugger and Spike was definitely unusual by the mid-1980s. Was this an attempt to see if a younger audience was still out there for this kind of material? And Nick said... As I said earlier, only Archie and Harvey seemed to have success with the Digest-sized comics, so I thought I would look into DC humor books, and that's when I discovered Sugar and Spike. I thought they were terrific. I called Shelley Mayer, their writer, artist, creator, and he did a new cover for each issue. I couldn't wait for them to pop up on the schedule so I could put together another issue and chat with Shelley. I love the stories about the old days of comics. He was a very witty and likable person, reminding me of my old friend Joe Gill. I said uh, we the more unusual digest headliner choices. Super Juniors, Plop, because DC uh, people at DC were fans of the material. Nick, uh, I have to take the blame for those as well. I was never, <laughs> <laughs> I was never a big superhero fan, and so I was always trying to find a new direction for the digests. I believe superheroes should be in full size comics where their action could be fully exploited, and the offbeat stuff could be in the digests. Mad put out pocket sized versions of their early stories, so I thought Plop would be a natural. When I ran across a pamphlet with the super juniors, I figured they might uh, might work as a Christmas special. I was certain I was on the right track, but sales figures don't lie. And they kept dropping. And then finally, I said, uh, I asked, speaking as a kid growing up, reading a lot of reprint books, they frequently seem just thrown together with no editorial voice. But when you took over the digest, you started up regular editorials and even a letters page. What inspired you to try this? Did you receive the kind of feedback you were looking for? And Nick said, I was seriously trying to turn the digest into a viable media. And so I hope for reader support, but it never came. We received only a few letters and, oh, those sales figures. Mm. So, yeah, that makes me sad that, that, you know, he was in there pitching. He was really trying. I love that idea of like saying, you know what? The superheroes should be in regular size comics, but the the digest are good for humor. And of course, you know. Mad paperbacks, They've been, how many mad paperbacks have been sold over the, you know, 40 million. That makes total sense that well, you would art- plumb the material, plumb the DC material for that kind of stuff. And so it's a completely logical notion. But unfortunately, it's 1985. People are excited about the Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. They're not interested in, you know, Dodo
1: and the Frog. It's just so strange, though, because, you know, in the grocery store is Archie Digest. They were right there, right? And so they assume the DC Digest were in the same place. I don't know that for certain. I don't know where the DC they Digest were, were. Okay, where were they sold?
2: The, well, the Digest were sold at newsstands, but they never were sold at supermarkets because I remembered. I don't – I wish I could remember who I got this from. It might have been Pulp Kupperberg. He might have told me this, but I, don't quote me on that. It was. I talked to a pro about this. I asked them once, and I remembered the answer was they said, Archie – claimed that real estate in like the 70s and they are never giving it up
1: right and And they got got a sweetheart deal they got a
2: sweetheart deal and they that's why they are there to this day and anytime dc or marvel tried to go kind of sniff around archie was like basically f off this is Mm -hmm. because they know that is prime real estate at the checkout counter when you're waiting as you're you know you're, you're 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 buying your pringles and your kid is like, oh Archie, you know, and it's for a buck fifty, or probably it's probably like four ninety five now. But, it is, yeah. Archie is never going to give up that real estate because apparently it is so profitable. And DC and Marvel just have zero chance of ever getting in there. And without those digest being there, they're they're never going to gain any foothold.
1: Well, you know, back all right, going back to where where I was going with this. So I guess take out the grocery store aspect, but I do remember I seeing digest at my local convenience store, and they're in the rack with you know the Marvel comics, but they're also in the rack with the sad sacks and the uh, the hot stuffs <laughs> and the Richie riches and all this stuff. Right. right. So they were there with the kids, funny books. So it does make perfect sense to try this. And it's a shame it didn't work, but it, you know, they, they threw 12 humor digest out there. Uh, yeah. Obviously the sales numbers didn't show, but it, it absolutely makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, totally. and I think it's hilarious that you asked the guy who helped invent no- uh, Nova cane. You're asking him about silly, funny books. That's hilarious.
2: <laughs> well, if I had started a, Charlton blog. I would have gotten to that eventually and I probably would have, because yeah. creating blogs a lot uh, back then.
1: And it's Nova Kane, so you know, come in. I mean, yeah, come on. Exactly. exactly. So all right. Well, wow, that is fascinating. That is awesome inside information. Thank you so much. And I um, Oh, and thanks- by the
2: by the way, I'm I'm sorry, go ahead, Jake.
1: No, I was just saying it's really cool to hear that not only was he saying, Okay, we can make money off this from kids, but he's like, Yeah, I'm so excited to work with uh Shelley Mayer. That's awesome yeah, that he was great. excited about that.
2: That's so fun that like you would do it just so you could have her an excuse to talk to this legendary figure. That's awesome. That's great. Um, but but the one of the things that 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 bit with Nick r- made me think of is like look at this cover right, and we we'll have a a, a gallery post. I'm I'm guessing, Shang. Um, uh,
1: <laughs> you hate no, no. doing recaps. I hate doing gallery posts. There you go. Yeah, no no no. We don't have to do that. No Anyways, I'll I'll throw a few things in there. But
2: one of the things that I love about this cover is they're so. De- when I say they, we're talking about Nick Cootie now. Was so desperate, right, to tie this into superheroes. <laughs> In any way, just to maybe get a couple of, of kids that were, that would never buy a humor comic interested is right at the top. There's a blurb where it says special, a Peter Porkchop story before he joined Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew as pig iron. Not only does it say that at the top of the cover, it says it on the back cover as yep. well. Mm-hmm. That is so like, Anything we can do to connect this to the superhero universe, it's so it. I don't want to say it's sad and like sad in a bad way, but it is. It is kind of like oh no, like that's how hard Nick Cooney had to try to get these kids. Like you like superheroes, right? Well, Captain Carrot met Superman, and here's Peter Porkchops before he became Pig Iron. It's like, oh my (laughs) lord, it's just they're just he's trying so hard.
1: It worked for me, though, because when you told me we are doing this digest, I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's exciting, because I did not even – and maybe I'm just oblivious. I don't know. I had no idea that Pig Iron, the character, the, his secret identity, was a pre-existing funny character from the 50s. I, I didn't have a clue. I,
2: I think that's another version of the Earth 2 Aquaman, to be honest with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you think they invented it right here on this cover? I,
2: I, I think they just were like, oh, hey, we have a funny – Pig character, right? Peter Porkchops. Well, that was pig art. Fine, done. Well,
1: I was just gonna say that because in that day and age, though, creator rights were a thing, and so you know, would um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Scott, uh, the guy. Scott who created- Shaw,
2: right? Yeah. Roy Thomas and Scott Shaw, yeah.
1: Right would, would would they be willing to give up the creator credit because he's previously, you know, this uh, <laughs> makes him a, a whatever they call it, not an original <laughs> character, but a ancillary character whatever the yeah, term is yeah. derivative character
2: derivative character yeah ever, right? so yeah. it
1: affect their own revenue so i don't know <laughs> but all right well, let's get into this so it all is right. best of dc number 37 published by dc cover date is june 1983 on sale march 3rd 1983 cover price is a dollar 25 and you get 96 pages which features by the way 19 individual stories Ooh. and edited as you mentioned already by nick cuddy uh, and so the, the interesting thing is here, this is, these are almost all exclusively reprints of stories from the 1950s. So these at this point are 30 year old stories when this book was printed already. These characters were completely out of the public consciousness. I mean, they had not been published and I'm going to talk about it in a bit, but pretty much none of these characters had existed since 1957. And so people had no clue who any of these characters were. So these could be on the same level as far as they're concerned with hot stuff and Casper and whatever the hell else that, uh, Harvey was putting out that maybe you hadn't, you didn't know unless they had a Saturday morning cartoon. So, uh, it's very reasonable that these could have worked.
2: I mean, the Richie Rich continue as they talk about every month over on. A uh, Batman Family Reunion. There were like seventy-four Richie Rich titles every month. I mean, yeah, somebody's buying those, you yep. know. I mean, why not? Why not try these as well? I mean, it's you would think it's the same
1: audience. Yeah, well, with these nineteen stories, almost all of them were done or at least credited here to three different people. And I thought we should take a minute to talk about these guys because these are not people. I mean, Shelley Mayer. Sure, we, some people know him, but we've got some interesting stuff to share there. But these other two, I mean, no one knows these guys. And this is going to blow your mind. So one of the people that gets credit a lot in this digest is Otto Frewer is his name. This guy lived to be 90 years old. Good for him. He was uh, originally born in Germany. He comes over to the United States. He gets his education in New York City, uh, his artistic education, I say. He, so he begins working for the Fleischer Animation Studio in the 1930s and 40s. How cool is that? And then in around 43, he starts working in comic book art. Now, where we're going to know him in, in this digest is he's doing a lot of characters like Dodo and the Frog, Peter Porkchops, and the Raccoon Kids. You know, these are characters that everyone at home obviously knows intimately, right? As well as they know Peter Parker. <laughs>
2: Household name, the right. Raccoon Kids.
1: <laughs> exactly. So uh, he ended up being one of the main artists for DC's Funny Animal Books, you know, on Comics Cavalcade, Animal Antics, Funny Stuff, and Funny Folks. He did a lot of these things. So I went to Mike's Amazing World. The amount of story credits, I almost fell out of my chair. He has 925 story credits. And if (laughs) I understand Mike's Amazing World properly, they don't, if something's reprinted, they don't list it twice. They just list it once and link back to the original listing. So I don't think this is like a bunch of reprints. I think he's got 925 legitimate credits spanning 1945 to 1960. That is amazing, guys. We sit here and talk about all these other artists that we love and we adore. I guarantee not one of those people have, well, maybe Jack Kirby, but not, do not have 925 story credits. Holy crap. So that is, uh,
2: that is un- and that's and only in a 15 year period too. It's not even like he was, you know, a oh 50 gosh. year comic career.
1: How did he think about that? That's a good point. So, in addition to being a comic artist, he, he was a movie uh, animator. Like I said, he was the Fleischer originally. But then in 1955, he founded his own animation studio for TV cartoon commercials. It was called Animotion Associates. And he worked as an animator for Filmation. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. some more of our childhood through the 70s and 80s. He worked on stuff like uh, The New Adventures of Batman, you know, the Batman stuff, Batman Superman Hour, Star Trek The Animated Series, and so many others. So here's this guy... That until we started doing the research for this digest, I've never even heard of. And now I'm like, I, I, I'm in awe of this guy.
2: I just did the math: uh, nine hundred twenty-five stories in fifteen years is sixty-one stories a year. Oh my
1: gosh! Now, admittedly, some of them are probably three-page, four-page gag strips of the raccoon.
2: Well, character. okay, yes, oh, we'll talk. We'll talk about that later. In, in okay. when we get to the stories themselves, so, so
1: I, I have a thought about that. Otto Fruer, remember this guy, folks? Amazing. Yeah, so, that's oh, absolutely. Right. You want to take the next person?
2: Absolutely. That's Sheldon Mayer. Uh I mean everyone, I think most anybody that has a, a you know more than a basic knowledge of comics history is familiar with him. He's a he was an American comic book writer and artist uh and and an editor. He was born April 1st, p- appropriate, now, he, in <laughs> 1917. His first comic artwork was created when he was an assistant uh for several New York newspaper cartoonists including Ving Fuller between 1932 and 1935. Uh, Together with McClure editor MC Gaines, he began the All-American Comics line in 1939, which was eventually mm-hmm. taken over by National, and then that became DC Comics. Mayer worked as the editor at DC until 1948, helped acquire many of the great comic titles such as Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. As an artist, Mayer created a lot of great comics and gags for All-American DC, one of which was Scribbly, a semi autobiographical strip about a boy cartoonist. Uh, so it's like the Fablemans. In 1948, Sheldon Mayer retired from his editorial work to devote all of his time to making comics and enriched his comics oeuvre with characters like the Red Tornado, Dizzy Dog, the Three Musketeers, some of which are here. In 1956, he began his second big comic title, Sugar and Spike, the Woo-hoo! beloved Sugar and Spike here at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. In 71, failing eyesight forced Mayer to abandon many of his running comics, but it did not prevent him from creating new characters such as Black Orchid. Hello, Dr. Ange. And stories <laughs> from Weird War Tales. After his eyesight was corrected, he continued at his own productive pace and worked on Rudolph in a comic adaptation of the Bible in Treasury format. Hello, me. Uh, He passed away in 1991 at the age of 74. He has, uh, well, he's a, he's a piker compared to Otto Fruer. He only has 877 story (laughs) credits raising, ranging from 1935 to 1983. I mean, I just, you know, like what, what a life, you know, just created sugar and spite. That'd be enough. But he did all that other stuff on top of.
1: I don't know how much I honestly knew about him before we started podcasting. I I don't know that I even knew Sugar and Spike were other than like seeing them in ads or something. So I've I've obviously gained a huge respect for them. I've I've been aware of Scribbly and stuff like that now, but I guess I didn't even realize his importance in helping beginning all American comics. I mean, if he hadn't done that, DC Comics wouldn't exist as it did today. Then, you know, acquiring Green Lantern, acquiring Wonder Woman, all these things, I mean, Wow, his contributions—you know—with the pencil and behind the desk—are amazing. Yeah, he's
2: one of the big architects of what we know today to be DC Comics, right? Or DC, as
1: they call themselves. That's true. DC Entertainment, (laughs) whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'll go on to the next guy. So Rube Grossman. So now here's the
2: sad His part. Names, by the way, these I know. are names, right? I, these, <laughs> right. These are great names. Nobody's named like this anymore.
1: That is true. Uh So sadly, he only lived to be fifty-one years old. Very Look young. in the mirror. Look in the mirror, Kelly. Here, very I mean, young.
2: That's so young. Just that is baby. so
1: young. So young. So he comes to New York, right? He begins his career as an illustrator uh, for advertisements, right? And he also worked in the Fleischer Studios in the 1930s. He becomes a funny animal artist for national periodicals in the 40s and 50s. So in this digest, we're going to see stuff where he's, he's associated with Peter Panda, Nutsy Squirrel. He took over the artwork on The Three Musketeers from Shelley uh, Mayer. And then he ended up doing the majority of The Three Musketeer stories. So, he ends up also getting a a, a syndicated strip for King Features, working on Rudolph. And he works for other publishers, like Better Publications and Dell Publications. So, this guy, again, only 51 years old, died that young. Only drew for, what's 45 to 62? That's uh, 17 years. 17 years. 1,001 story credits on Mike's Amazing World. (laughs) Rob, we have wasted our lives. I I just... uh, He accomplished all of this by our age, and we're... Just talking into a microphone. Amazing. So, And then by 1958, he had his own studio with Otto Frewer, who we already mentioned, hey. and Grand Place uh, doing merchandise artwork. He uh, And so I mentioned he worked in the Fleischer in the 30s. Later on in the 60s, he goes on to work on cartoons like Felix the Cat. He was a director on there. He worked on the Mar- Mighty Hercules cartoon. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, he left us in 1964. Far too young. But what what a body of work to leave behind.
2: It's on the, yeah, the the list of credits these guys have are just stunning. And again, you mentioned that he went onto a a daily comic strip, right? You know the Rudolph strip, which mm-hmm. got by Rudolph, giant star apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he had a had a newspaper strip and uh, dominated the DC Treasury lineup. G- getting a comic strip was like the gold standard to right. these guys, right? Because right. comics were the kind of the also ran. That was what you wanted. You you were living the life of Riley if you got a a, a daily comic strip. That said. That is a Herculean workload. Like that was that was what you aspire to, but that also requires the amount of effort is just staggering to crank out a daily comic book. And that's not even if it, like you do a Sunday or you ink it yourself or you write it yourself. It is a crushing workload. And yet these guys are probably like, yeah, that's the dream is to get mm-hmm. the crushing workload. Yeah, because I'm going to be rich.
1: And they're doing the comics at the same time, or they're oh. working animation. I mean, just again, we've <laughs> wasted our lives. So thank you to Otto Fruer, Sheldon Mayer, and Rube Grossman for being amazing, amazing people, amazing, hardworking illustrators, creators, artists, m- merchandisers, directors, a- animators, everything, and for giving these funny strips that gave us some joy as we read them as well. Mm. So now, as again, we are gonna. To talk about the digest, I mean, as Rob and I said, we're not going to sit here and be like, Oh, and you know, Peter Porkchop pulled the rug out from the wolf. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm we're not, not gonna reading,
2: I, I was not writing a story synopsis for Bo Bunny in Fly and Flying Fish.
1: I'm just exactly, not, no, I'm not doing so. That. We're trying to give you a perspective on all this stuff, and then we'll talk about a, a few things generally. But like to put in perspective, you know, you and I grew up reading superhero comics, right? That and Sad Sack, and that's about and you reading <laughs> Richie Rich. Beyond that, you know, the I funny lived animals,
2: Richie Rich, I didn't read Richie Rich, I'm
1: terribly that. sorry, Terri- it was based on you. <laughs> um, so the, the funny animal stuff, other than, you know, Warner Brothers and Disney wasn't part of our childhood because by then, like DC, it was done. You know, I looking at this, the boom of these funny animal comics were pretty much about 1944 to 1946 is when they get started. And pretty much every single one of them, at least in the DC stable was gone by 1957. Just over, just all of them stopped at the same time. And there was a number of these things. I mean, like, to give you, again, perspective here, right? They, you guys will think about, I don't know, Aztec from DC Comics that lasted, what, 13 issues? Or Dark Hawk from Marvel that lasted, I don't know, how many, right? <laughs> funny, funny Stuff ran 79 issues from 1944 to 1954. Animal Antics ran for 51 issues. Funny Folks ran for 60 issues. These were all humor strips with these cartoon characters. Each one of them was ended up being taken over by a lead character. So even though those numbers, they, they actually kept going. Uh, like Peter Porkchop got his own series. He went 62 issues. Three Masketeers went 26. And then these other guys, they took over some of those other strips. Dodo and the Frog, Raccoon Kids, Peter Panda, Nutsy Squirrel. They had, all of them had their own comics on the shelves, even though most of the people at home have never even heard of them. It, it blows my mind. And this is just a such a small sample of the funny animal stuff that's out there.
2: Aquaman never got the 79 issues. No he like, big, did not. Billion dollar movie star Aquaman has not gotten the 79 issues. But funny <laughs> stuff got that. But one of the things that I wanted to mention when I was doing some research myself on this is you mentioned here that like a lot of these books morphed into other books mm-hmm. back then uh because of like postal regulations it, it was uh, and also sales they didn't actually they you know how things have changed. They didn't want first issues. Right. Because it, it it made newsstand vendors say, oh, this what is this? Number one, this is unproven. I don't want this. So they would constantly change numberings for books. You know, they would say, oh, All-Star Comics is canceled, but let's change it to All-Star Western. Yep. And it's also all of a sudden All-Star Western starts at number 57. You're like, wait a minute, where are the other 56? There are not. And so they did that a lot. I mean, more fun comics became a humor book. All those characters got booted out and went over to Adventure, but a lot of these books became something else. And my favorite example of that is what to me is the the, the shining uh, example in this whole collection is the Stanley and his monster story. Mm-hmm. Right now, this is one of the great things about Mike's amazing books. He's got all the cover scans, and you can just look at the covers, right, and just click through and watch issue after issue. Stanley and his monster <laughs> ever so slightly take over the book.
1: Well, you didn't, the, say, you, didn't, you didn't say you didn't say what the name of the book was
2: from the Fox and the Crow. Right. That's where they first they that's where they first appeared. Was in the book The Fox and the Crow.
1: Just some backup feature, that, right? But,
2: it, but the first issue that they appear in, there's a little blurb. It just says introducing Stanley and his monster, and it's about the size of like I don't know, like a like a like a quarter, you know, maybe a little bigger than that, but it's not much bigger than that, right? And then you click the next issue, the blurb's a little bigger. Click <laughs> it again, the blurb's a little bigger. Uh, keep uh, keep going eventually they get half the cover then they start getting half the cover and their own logo where it says fox and the crow featuring stanley and his monster then eventually stanley and his monster get the entire cover to themselves even though the book is still called fox and the crow then eventually <laughs> they just name the damn book stanley and his monster and i'm like you know it's like it's a weird parallel world like the fox and the crow are like hey
1: Hey! Right. <laughs> like, exactly.
2: You, you in What are you doing? <laughs> but it's like you can see that, like, they were like, "Oh, okay." These, you know, I guess they were able to figure out by the letters. Like, kids really love this Stanley and his monster thing. Fox and the Crow is kind of old hat now, so let's hand it over. But it's so funny to watch it. Just every month,
1: they just get a little more. <laughs> this
2: is like taking over. Like, okay,
1: all right, that's it. Stanley's monster now. That's, that's- the book. That's hilarious. I, I always think of a uh, Sergeant Rock took over. What was it All American War? Our Army at War. Our Army. Yep. So yeah. But Stanley's monster is a hysterical example. Oh my gosh!
2: You, <laughs> Unknown Soldier did the same thing. I think Star Spangled War Stories. It's uh, like yeah. Star Spangled War Stories, and then Star Spangled War Stories featuring the Unknown Soldier, and then the Unknown Soldier logger is like eighty percent of the logo space with tiny little oh, my print. gosh. Star Spangled War Stories, and then they're finally like, look, it's just called Unknown Soldier. All right, <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, people are buying. It. But yeah, I mean. It it is funny to see the history of comics publishing that like DC was try when superheroes went away late forties as you pointed out like forty six fifty four like they're trying everything else mm-hmm. they're trying funny animals western war uh, horror not so much mystery really not so much horror but mystery certainly romance they're trying everything sci fi and- sci fi of course of course yes yeah, sci fi and the minute superheroes. Start coming back. All the funny animal books are out the door. It's like DC just went and just like went down the, the hallway to all the funny editors. And were like, you get now, guys, we're doing superheroes again. Like, oh, okay, right. Okay.
1: It, it, and when I kept checking the dates on all these, I'm like, every single one of these funny the animal books ends in 57. Like, boom, 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 boom. Like, OK, well, Flash was on the stands. You know, Barry Allen's back in 1955. So obviously, you know, uh, they're like, OK, if that's where the money is. Let's go. So, all right. So, getting into funny stuff, uh, Digest Thirty Seven. I'm just going to rattle off like a checklist here. The characters, just so you understand who all's in here. You get you get Peter Porkchops, who get uh, well known for going on to become Pig Iron. Um, <laughs> you get Doodles Duck. You get the Three Musketeers. You get a couple stories with them. You get Dodo and the Frog. You get a couple with them. You get a couple with Dizzy Dog. You get the Raccoon Kids. You get uh, Stanley. Now, this this confused me at first. Stanley, the timid Scarecrow. Who's, not t- who's different from Stanley and his monster. Uh, you get Peter Panda, Nip and Chip. Uh, none, I don't know if I said Nutsy Squirrel yet or not. I get confused. Bow Bunny, Goofy Goose. Yeah, all these names are just ridiculous. And, and then you get, again, repeats of a lot of these characters. So what a crazy lineup of funny animal characters that obviously were bankable to DC at the time, but now they're just forgotten to history. So, I, out of all these characters, Rob, let's, I mean, let's, let's free, it's free for this, free form, this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any particular stories that stand out or characters or jokes or something?
2: Okay. Well, right at the top, I'm going to set aside Stanley and his monster because okay. he's kind of, they're like their own thing. They, they came along way later. These are all stories from the 50s. And then Stanley's monster is like the 60s. So, that's like, that's, that's, that's completely at late 60s. So, like, that is, I kind of wish there would have been more of that in this book than just the one story. Cause I've always liked Stanley's monster, Stanley and his monster. They brought it back in the nineties. They did a mini series of it and it's always sure been did. part of the DC universe. And they got a who's who listing and stuff like that. So setting Stanley and his monster aside, cause again, it's very charming. Um, I liked, uh, the dodo and the frog. Like, okay. I like those stories. I like the frog you mentioned, like he's kind of like Michigan J. Frog. He kind of looks like him. There's the thing I noticed about these stories is reading them over. And I did read them. I did actually read them is <laughs> you say that like,
3: that's a labor
1: of, well, I mean, <laughs> that is a, your job, Rob. It's, Congratulations. It's a, job, a, well, it's a hundred. You did, you did your one job.
0: Congratulations. Hundred,
2: I have many jobs. I do many podcasts, <laughs> Uh but I mean, look, this is a hundred pages of funny animals doing funny stuff. It's after a while, it gets a little like a re- little repetitive. Um But the thing that I noticed I don't think I've read too many stories of of these characters outside of their digests. I don't Mm -hmm. think I've actually read any of these comics again, outside of this format, but the thing I noticed is some characters, and this is true of like, you know, animated characters like Disney or Warner brothers or Pixar. It's like you hook into some of these characters or you don't. Yep. And like Dodo and the frog, I kind of immediately got the dynamic between the two of them. And I sort of got the, the, you you know, I could sort of picture it like oh, okay this is the the setup between these characters and now i'm going to be i can guess kind of how these stories are going to go in a good way of like oh okay this is how they're going to interact and then you get something like stanley the timid scarecrow and i was like what mm-hmm. Like, i couldn't in a weird way like i couldn't wrap my head around it. i'm like what what like what is this you know what i mean um did you notice the one thing about peter <laughs> peter again stanley's monster story separate but did you notice the one thing about the Peter Porkchop stories that are unique to any of the other stories in this book? Uh, the the one P- detail they've got:
1: the Peter Porkchop stories. Well, it's yes, it's all right. So it's him and the wolf, which is mm-hmm. a you know a clever pairing. You have a pig and a wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to another country. No, no, I, I don't know what you're leaning. Okay, look,
2: it, I only noticed this still today. It looks they,
1: more. It looks more. Tr- well, anyway, like, no, to me okay. it looks more traditional. Uh, funny animal stuff like you'd see with other publishers. But which got?
2: It does, but but the thing I wanted to point out was, uh, in Peter the Peter Porkchop stories are the only ones where humans appear. They interact with humans.
1: The uh, rest, the rest of these
2: stories, it's all funny animals. It exists well, in its
1: own little funny animal. Actually, universe. I'm going to call you on it. I, You're talking about the the villagers and stuff. Yeah. If you look closer, they're not humans. They have animal faces, they have whiskers, they have animal noses. Yeah,
2: but in the first story they go to the uh well that's true. But okay, in the second story though, he meets uh, the the second Peter Porkchop story, there's a like an old prospector kind of guy. There's and he's definitely he's definitely a human. In uh let's say <laughs> let's is, go to the right second Peter Porkchop story. I didn't even oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I misspoke. I apologize. Peter Panda. See, it's always Oh, a- yes. Peter, Peter Panda.
1: Okay, yes. Peter Panda. Yes, he had some humans, and Stanley had some humans. Those two, I did, right. I did notice that. If you'd asked that, I would have caught it. Okay, I'm okay. sorry,
2: I said it wrong. I'm Peter Panda, Peter Porkchops. Oh my god, I'm so horrible that I made that. But I realized that. But it's, it, I remembered when I got to that story, and I was like, this feels different. Mm-hmm. Why does this feel different? And I couldn't. And then I was like, oh, I think this is the first time I've seen a human go mm-hmm. up in it. And I kind of like the funny animal stories that are just funny animal, like they just exist in their own universe, and like humans. Don't exist really, right? Really, not
1: It should be that way. I. I that's how I like. I, I like it better when it's just animals. When there's humans in there, it, it just doesn't feel right.
2: Right. It's like all of a sudden, there's a talking panda. Like what?
1: Like what's happening? You Why know? is nobody freaking out about this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: nobody's remarking. They're talking to a panda. Like what is that? <laughs> uh, right. But yeah, it, a lot of it. Get yeah, to me. It's like the the Three Musketeers. Like I was like, okay, I get what this is. I didn't like it that much. Like that. I just thought it was a sort of like well, on the turgid side. Again, I don't want to be too critical of funny animal stories from half a century ago but some of them i just felt like oh okay if i'd been a kid and this had been a regular book i would feel like oh i know what this is and i can enjoy the rhythms of it and then there's other ones where i was like i just don't like what you know some of them like dizzy dog didn't i mean yeah it's a dog character we know that's been done but there were some that just clicked and it almost didn't matter what the story was and there were others that 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 didn't, and uh, I was just like, oh, "Wins this over." All right, let's get to the next thing.
1: I felt that way about some of them. It's interesting. Um, I, I want to talk about a few, like the three Musketeers. So you've got these three different mice. I didn't really click with the three Musketeer stories either. However, I do recognize from sort of a marketing perspective, they were possibly the best designed characters for mm. looks in the whole book because each mouse was immediately recognizable and individually specific. So whereas like with the chipmunks, Simon, Alvin, and Theodore, you get different colored sweaters. They're very specific or whatever to make sure you know who each one of these characters are. Same kind of concept here. How do you make sure if you've got three of the same species, you have to make them instantly recognizable? Mm, that's true. And here, uh, there's no d- mistaking one mouse for the other. One's really skinny and tall. One's really short and got a big hat. One of them is really, really heavy. And-, and they all have different colors. I mean, they're immediately recognizable. So from a design point, I think the three Mouseketeers are probably the most successful. The stories? didn't grab me now I'm it's funny the dizzy dog one there's actually a story in here that made me genuinely laugh and that was a dizzy dog story it's where he this guy makes fun of him for having a hat this specific hat it's called dizzy dog and the mad hatter and this frog who was a complete dick (laughs) owns a hat store and dizzy dog's got a hat and he wants him to buy more hats so he starts shaming the dog he starts making the dog feel bad like your hat's your hat your hat's trash man you need to get a better hat it goes so far, this is the part that cracked me up, He goes so far to get on the phone and call all these young hooligans that swarm to the streets at his beck and call to go out there and shame the dog for his hat. And I just, I, the power of this, ha- you know, haberdasher, hat dealer, whatever, to call upon an Oliver Twist gang to go out there and shame this other character was hysterical to me. I, I laughed heartily at that. I found that a lot of fun.
2: I, I will say, I forgot to mention, I mentioned, I like the, um, I actually, did like the Doodles Duck one because yes! it was it was Sheldon Mayer, and, uh, and to me, Sheldon Mayer has a sort of in something with his his art style as well. There, he has a kind of manic energy to his figures and just the way that he then he inked his own pencils. That to me is very pleasurable to look at. That's why part of the reason I love Sh- Sugar and Spike so much, but it just has a kind of pleasing look to it in a way that I just find like really works. So I kind of like, I liked the, the doodles duck one was, and again, I didn't laugh at any of these out loud or even close to it, but there was something about doodles duck that I felt was like quite charming versus some of the other ones where I was like, ah, oh, this is a little, is a little forced.
1: I think, I, again, know why. I think that's
2: because it was Sheldon May.
1: Well, there's that artistically. It's great, but also be assuming he wrote it as well. I'm assuming he did a really good job of making the characters immediately identifiable doodles duck is a jerk he's a con man he's trying to pull one over on buttons the rabbit and he's I and mean, he's just a total dick i mean he's really trying to screw him over and it's hysterical in that right now i shouldn't say okay i didn't laugh out loud but it is it is it is funny in that way that he just keeps trying to screw over the rabbit and he just can't get it And where some of the other stories are like, okay, that's funny. This one I genuinely thought was interesting. I'm like, okay, yeah. Oh, and and he gets his just desserts at the end. And it's kinda cute how the crystal ball gets turned into a TV set, basically, and and the rabbit comes out on top. And I like that one genuine. I had that down as my best laugh in the book, actually, even though I didn't laugh Mm -hmm. out loud. I had that down as my as the best laugh for the book.
2: I appreciated that Nick Cootie wanted to give you know readers like a real great selection i mean they look how many different characters there are right, here right. but i i almost wish like maybe he had scaled it back a little you know and had been like three stories of like five characters each or four mm. characters each, as opposed to you know bo bunny or nip and chip <laughs> just seeing some <laughs> of these names nip and chip you know you're just getting the raccoon kids you know like it's almost like how many variations can there be and this is what i this is the one other thing i wanted to get to when you mentioned the the the, the 900 25 credits, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yes. A lot of these stories are four pages, right? Five pages. He's not <laughs> writing. We're not writing Watchmen here, you know, we're not writing these <laughs> huge books. But the thing is, that's so impressive about that is that's 925 different premises. Yeah. That's the hard part. I think at a certain point, once you introduce a, a concept of, okay, uh, the, 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 the frog, you know, ha- runs a hat store. Okay. Like, and then what happens? Okay. Once you've set that going, it's like, you know, getting that toy with the wind up, the evil Knievel thing, you just rev it up and, and then it goes, but coming up with the premises that to me is, that's 900. I mean, I'm sure he repeated himself because I'm sure he was like, no, nobody remembers 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I re- did this story in Dodo and the frog number 12, and now I'm doing it in three months. But when you think about just how many different ideas you have to come up with to crank out that many stories, that's impressive. Just that many different I well, Now what? Right. Uh, you know. I mean, you think about it, in the old days of comics, Superman. There were like four Superman stories every issue. Like that's four different Superman stories they had to come up with. Nowadays they have like they have to come up with like three for a yeah. whole month because they only do three Superman books or two Superman, whatever they do now. And even then, it's one story the whole month. And Even then. That's six issues continued and so you can put it in a trade, you know, but it's like, wow, that's, that's a lot of just sheer imagination. You have to have to come up with these ideas every single month, multiple times a month.
1: Well, and a lot of times though, I think what happens is they work backwards. Like, okay, let me think of a funny punchline. Like, okay, you know, Mm. uh, out on a limb, which was a funny line Mm. with uh, the the frog and the, and the dodo. It's like, oh, I I sure got myself out on a limb this time. And so it's like, you work backwards from that (laughs) joke. But, you know, it's it's not just the ideas, too. It's the characters, too, because they created so many characters. I mean, that's not easy work to do. As a guy who does a lot of role-playing, you know, coming up with the characters is fun, but it's it takes effort to come up with something that's going to stick. And I do find myself wondering why creators chose certain types of animals for certain strips. Like, some of them are obvious, like the pig and the wolf. Okay, that makes sense. The Mouseketeers. Okay, it's a clever name, right? But why a squirrel? <laughs> Why a raccoon? Why twins for that matter? A frog, <laughs> a duck. You know, is there like, was there market research on what animals were the most popular? Or, you know, maybe it's just like other animals were taken like, well, Bugs Bunny and Foghorn Leghorn are already done. So I, you know, I'm not going to do them. Or, or, or maybe they just like to draw. I, you know, I like drawing squirrels. I'm going to draw mm. that. You know, I, I do wonder what led them to do that kind of stuff.
2: No funny cats. I'm going to point that out. No funny ah. cats.
1: That is interesting. We got dogs,
2: we got raccoons, we got ducks, we got pandas, we got squirrels, bunnies, goose, frogs, but no cats.
1: Yeah. I was going to say maybe they felt like the Sylvester and Tom and Jerry market were too locked down, but if that was the case, they wouldn't have a bunny. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, No cats. (laughs)
1: <laughs> very strange okay <laughs> now you talk about you know they they should have had uh, m- repeating characters but they they really did kind of stick with the most popular ones because again you know nutsy squirrel peter Pan, raccoon kids Dr- dodo and the frog three Musk- you know, all most of these characters had their own book it's not even like they were just one of many now i'm i'm sure the what are nip and tuck or whatever the hell that was that probably would, maybe didn't need to be nip, in here
2: nip and tuck <laughs> whatever their names were They're plastic surgeons now right? nip and chip
1: right okay i don't remember them having their own books so maybe they we could have skipped them. but <laughs>
2: the fx series nip and chip
1: peter Porkchops. chops uh, peter Porkchops chops went for 13 years as a strip which is crazy
2: can you imagine that Do you mm-hmm. imagine that? so i mean like I said overall it's and by the way the the, the front and back covers the original covers by sheldon mayer are terrific they're beautiful. They really They're are They're lively. They're mixing all the characters together, kind of doing something funny. So the covers are great. It's 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 a absolutely solid collection of these stories. I could see why kids of 1983 were like, what? Like, what is this? I don't want this. I admire Nick Cootie so much for trying something different to trying to make the Digests distinctive. And he kept going. I mean, this is not the only funny stuff collection. There was a bunch more, not a bunch, but there were a few more after this. He kept trying to do different things, and that is so admirable. And it is such a damn shame that it didn't it didn't really work on a sales uh, in a sales way.
1: Yeah. Now, did you want to talk about Stanley and his monster specifically, or are you just saying they're in a different category? I wasn't sure. No.
2: I. I again, we're not going to get into the plot of it, but I just it, I think the premise that this kid with this you know, this little kid that kind of looks like uh, uh, Elroy from the Jetsons, you know, he's mm-hmm. going around with this big giant uh, snuffleupagus type monster. Uh, I always just thought it had it's drawn by uh it 's created by Arnold Drake who <laughs> did the doom patrol <laughs> right <laughs> uh and and win Mortimer and win Mortimer's never been one of my favorites but i I like his the humor style here uh I just thought that was always a great fun premise, and I think they it just to me it's just it you could see the evolution of the you know we're getting into the sixties where i I'm not gonna say there's like an edge to it it's still Stanley this monster, but just the idea of like all the other characters from the fifties are gentle looking, you know, they're Mm -hmm. rabbits, they're frogs, they're this or that. But a monster is like, Oh, we're inverting the idea of this is not it's yeah. We're calling him a monster, but he's friendly. He's actually, you know, he's actually Stanley's pal. He's nothing to be scared of. And that's kind of like trying to do something a little different with the idea. And again, I think there's a reason why Stanley is a monster in the context of the DC universe has endured, have, I guess, as a, their characters, two characters, they have endured over the years. They pop up here and there and they show up in different things very, you know, they, again, there was a mini series on them and stuff like that. And they got their Who's Who entry, entry and they've been in other DC. I mean, they are part of the DCU at this point. Yeah. yeah. So DC kind of knew that, hey, that was something that had a little more life to it. And, it sticks out because it is it's fifth. It's a full ten years after the rest of the stories, and I I almost wonder, like why didn't he do why didn't Nick Cooney do like a whole Stanley and his monster like there's enough probably enough stories maybe oh, I'm you know. sure there
1: must be I'm sure but there must be
2: I I think that would have been a really smashing success you know well maybe not but I mean it would have been we would have made for a great digest
1: well it's also interesting it's it's one of the you're starting to see a story technique in here too which is where the kids are smarter than the adults. You're starting to oh, see yeah, that, yeah. that that definitely was something that started to become more prevalent in the 60s and 70s with kids stories that the kids were always smarter than the, the adults. And you start, because which is a little different than the rest of the digest. So you, you do, uh, that did stick out of me. And then the most surprising thing is um, Stanley's mom smoking hot. So uh, <laughs> did not realize that.
2: So <laughs> she's kind of, she looks like uh, Dennis the Menace's mom, who was also pretty hot. So
1: well, he looks like Dennis the Menace. Honestly, if you give him red hair, you know, that he mm. looks like he's got, he looks like he stole Dennis's hair. In uh, yeah. some of these panels, so yeah,
2: it's fun. I, I'm a big fan of so, I, not as much as Sugar and Spike, but I really do
1: enjoy Stanley and his monster. Well, clearly Phil Foglio and Kevin Smith did as well because they're the guys who brought him mm-hmm. back. So there yeah, yeah. All right. Well. Anything further to say on this fun digest other than folks, you go out there and read it, you know, have fun with it. They're great, cute stories. I don't recommend you read the whole thing in one sitting. Um, I recommend you do it in bite sized chunks, which is what kids would do. They'd get these digests and just read a few stories and go out and play and come back and read more. So anything, anything else you wanted to add, sir? Uh,
2: I think it is a shame that just on a purely physical level, it is a shame that these digests were so often printed on you know kind of the lowest end paper imaginable most i don't know about all of you out there but my digests have almost all of them the paper have turned sandy brown Mm, at this mm -hmm. point which just makes them physically harder to read i think for anybody aside from someone with my 51 year old eyes and i refuse to get glasses but like I, i we were thinking about like would you buy these i know you give out comics for halloween and like, you know, these would be a. Gr- I'm, on the one hand, I'm like, these would be fun to give to really little kids because they could just look at the pictures and it's like looking at a cartoon. But I also just wonder, would they would they even want to even make the attempt to read it? Because it's so I think it's just so physically difficult to read them because the paper is just so kind of cruddy.
1: Well, I, I mean, also, they're 40 years old and 50 years old at this That's point. A, so someday, who no kids going to want that? They're gonna be like, why are you giving me crap off your shelf? Buddy? Um <laughs> If they were like the newer ones, the Marvel Digest that were done on, those you know, were
2: done on nicer paper. Yeah, yeah,
1: I would if I could have. You know, they were five bucks a pop though. But I mean, if I could have had a stack of those to give out at Halloween, I think the kids would love them. I think they would. So mm, okay, I mean, you think about it. It's it's all the whole gimmick with a digest is you're bang for your buck. You yeah. know, you go home with this giant tome that you can read over and over or read in chunks, and it's always going to be fun. And that's that's what that's the appeal to digest for me. Not the small size. But just the fact that you could have so many stories packed in one little thing, so
2: absolutely. And again, all all credit to Nakudi for for pushing that rock up that hill. Yeah. In yeah. 1983, when when all DC was shedding all of its genres that were not superheroes, and he was going steadfastly in the opposite direction. And I just I really appreciate that he was he was he tried to do that, and it's, it's just such a shame that it didn't it didn't uh, it didn't pay off financially.
1: So remember, the character find of 2023 is Dizzy Dog and Doodles Duck, folks. <laughs> Go out there, invest heavy. It's going to be big. We're just telling you. I, so. I
2: hear that uh, James Gunn is uh, is writing an origin story film <laughs> for uh, Dodo and his frog right now.
1: I think he is. He probably, I mean, think about it. He can get his brother to dress up like the frog, right? And just do CGI. Yeah, yeah perfect.
2: Some mocap and you're you're done. Make exactly.
1: Sure. All mm-hmm. right. Well, with that, we are going to close out this DC Digest, folks, and uh, we are going to take a podcast promo break. When we come back, we are going to cover your feedback from the last episode, which was only two years ago.
3: (laughs) What do you get when a fantasy gaming horror sci-fi geek and an army veteran history nerd want to do a comic book-related podcast. Why? You get the Weird Warriors podcast, of course. Weird War Tales was a 124-issue DC comic book series published from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll sidetrack on to an occasional special mission where we discuss an issue of a like-themed comic book from a different title or publisher. There are also the rare Road Warriors episodes where we report on comic-related road trips like or visiting the homes and grave sites of comic greats. We'll nitpick what the comic's creative team got wrong and crawl about what they got right. We'll also break down the facts behind the fiction in the stories, which is sometimes quite weird in its own right. Even the letters page and our favorite ads can't escape our judgment, just as we can't escape yours in our own dead letter office mailbag. Torpedo-eating dinosaurs! Haunted Chateaus. Time-traveling rats. Zombie robots. Day-walking vampires. Gargoyle armies. And that's just in the first 20 Weird War Tales episodes. So, report for duty with the Weird Warriors podcast with Max and Rich, where we promise to make war
0: no more. Hey, Sean, do you want to go over the checklist to make sure we are ready for the next phase of the Batman Family Reunion? Sure thing, Paul. Robin and Batgirl in team-up action? Check. Fried chicken? Check. Man fighting a rare jaguar Check. Deviled eggs? Check. Potato salad? Check. Without the raisins? Of course. The Huntress fighting Catwoman and Poison Ivy? Check. Lemonade? Check. Alfred and Commissioner Gordon keeping a secret from Ruth Wayne? Check and check. Reprints or all new stories. New stories and reprints until issue ten, and then nothing but brand new stories from there on out. Giant size issues, a mere giant size until issue sixteen, and then dollar comics from issue seventeen to twenty through the end of the run and detective. Guest list? Absolutely. We are having a number of bat relatives visit the reunion, so listen in for your favorite bat cousin. All right, great. Then we're all ready for the Batman Family Reunion Podcast, where we talk about Batman Family, the great comic book from the 70s and 80s. We'll discuss not only the stories, but also the text pages and ads, and we'll also find out what the Batman Family was doing on the newsstands that month. And since this is a reunion, we're inviting all of you, the bat kinfolk, to listen in and to be part of the show. Look for the Batman Family Reunion Podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right, so what we're going
1: to do here is we're going to cover your feedback from the last two episodes, actually. Episode 14, which is where we covered the year's best comic stories of 1984. Oh, I my beloved year's best comic stories. I love those collections. They're awesome. And we're going to cover your feedback from episode 15, kind of. That was one where we did, uh, we played with the play with the numbers a little bit, and we created fictional digest for Aquaman and Firestorm. So we're not going to go into a lot of detail on the Aquaman and Firestorm selections. Instead, we're just going to touch on maybe the digest-specific comments, because that also doubled as a, our anniversary episode for the Fire & Water podcast. So, let's get right into this. So our first comment on, uh, we're going to first focus on the year's best comic stories in 1984. First one comes from Ryan Daly from the Fire & Water podcast network. He does shows such as Cheerscast and more. And in that digest, uh, actually Comics 554 was reprinted. Well, Ryan pointed out that he had covered that story by Wolfman and Kane on uh, with uh, on our FW Presents feed on a show he called Find Your Joy. He did it with Bob Fisher. So if you want, you can go out there and look for Firewater uh, FW Presents, Find Your Joy, Action Comics 554. So uh, awesome. Thank you, Ryan.
2: I like how he pointed it out that he did that story about a year ago, which would now be three years ago.
1: Because
2: this, point, this <laughs> comment is so True. old. Uh, actually, probably even more than that, because the, the the 15th episode of Digest Guest was two years ago. The 14th was even older than that. So, yeah. Really oh, only going... by like a month. <laughs> was it really? We only did them a month apart? That's shocking. We were, we were on fire. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, David Escutierrez uh, says, uh, what a smorgasbord of stories. I do miss uh, mixed up anthologies like these. Thank you for admitting you physically are challenged in reading digest. <laughs> Aging eyes and fading images and words on yellowing paper made it exceedingly difficult for me to follow along with some of these. That's why I love those treasuries—big print for bad eyes. Yeah, I, t- I hear you there, David.
1: And just think, you were just a young whippersnapper of forty-nine back then, Ron. Oh my God. <laughs> They heard from Sean Myers from uh, fire and water podcast network. In fact, Sean has joined the network since he left this comment. Uh, He does the Batman family reunion podcast here on our network um, with his buddy Paul or cousin Paul, I should say. So Sean wrote, although I'm a huge fan of the digest and think that the year's best comic stories issues are a wonderful treat each year. This particular installment is my least favorite of the series. Well, poo-poo on you, Sean. But then he says, your podcast made this issue so much better than reading it actually was. Okay, you're back in my good graces now, Sean. Uh, the stories he enjoyed it involved the New Teen Titans, Swamp Thing, Sergeant Rock, Colossal Boy, and the Green Lantern series. He said all those were great. And he says, interestingly enough, Nick Cuddy's name uh, comes up here. He says, in that issue, Nick Cuddy had a plea for letters for Future Digest. And he says there were letter columns in issues 65, 66, and 70. Look at that. Sean is a fount of information.
2: That is so cool. He also mentions, he's specifically to Shag. He says, I also bought the Archie superhero comics digest magazine issues one and two from eBay as soon as Rob talked about them. Oh boy. So I'm very glad that I'll finally be able to dig in and enjoy for the next episode of digest cast. Uh, and the great thing is that with your recording schedule, I'll get to listen to the issues after I get, ma- after I get my vaccine to end the pandemic. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the oh. oh, the irony. Oh, the irony so many. Oh, so naive, no. Sean, and the yes.
1: pandemic—that's funny. But uh, <laughs> the vaccine ha- did come out after that. So, all right, so folks, for all of you that did buy the Archie Digest in anticipation of us covering it, uh, if, it it's not going to happen, but you still own a fun comic. Yeah, exactly. Read, you, read the comic, enjoy it. Don't don't be mad at us be- that you have a fun comic in your collection. Read it, enjoy. Now get go go to the drugstore and buy some readers because it's going to be hard to read it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but enjoy it.
2: Yeah, no, totally. Enjoy it on its own terms. You don't need our show to enjoy the Archie Digest. Uh, Gord Tolton from A Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Uh, he says, he always got to say it like that. He says, this was a great show. I still own this digest, and I'm sure I had many of the original issues as well. I won't comment too much on the stories themselves, other than who done Donna Troy? It's one of the finest comic stories ever published. Wow. And it's too bad the future editors couldn't have seen that and left well enough alone. <laughs> sometimes sometimes my head headcanon is best left to do exactly what DC seems to do. Just disregard anything I don't like. Oh as in gosh. all future attempts, the not up this character so badly, she's almost unusable. Who is Donna Troy? This is Donna Troy. Hard stop.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Got, mm-hmm. That is a great philosophy, Gord. I like yep. it. I like it. Totally. Uh, all right. Then Liz, Liz Ann Oswald has her own YouTube channel. Liz uh, had a lot to say, but uh, just to focus on a couple of comments, Liz talks about Green Lantern story in there. And Liz says Gil Kane's art was great, and he was great all the way up into the 90s. Wizard Magazine used one of his cheetah pieces for some articles, and it was still great. And then Liz says the Blue Devil story is fine, and that if Blue Devil had dated uh, Zatanna, because that was sort of discussed in the issue, uh, if Blue Devil had dated Zatanna, then it would have saved her from dating John Constantine, and that would have been better. Uh, now, I do think that if you look at the history, I think John, this is me, I think John Constantine and Zatanna is all retcon to being, like, they had this relationship a long time ago. So it probably still would have happened, but maybe, maybe Dan Cassidy could have turned her around a little bit. Anyway, Liz says, this is not my favorite look for Zatanna. Uh, I like uh, her better in her 1970s gray suit, or oddly enough, the DC Superhero Girls Superhero High look. You know, that's a good point, because, uh, and this is Shag again, you know, the DC Superhero Girls, they did do a lot of redesigns of classic characters, and some of them look really good. So, they get dismissed because they all that kid stuff, but no, there's some cool designs in there. Then Liz goes on to say, about that Zatanna costume, uh, I think, uh, the the one that was in Blue Devil, I think of this costume as George Perez just doing one of those that only he can make it work costumes, but Paris Collins does a good job. (laughs) And then Liz says, sorry, it's just that she's a grown woman in public with a fake bug on her head. Like, why didn't Diana or Black Canary or someone else pull her aside and just go, why, girl? Just why? (laughs) I, uh, I I know a lot of people don't like the bug costume. I'm a fan. Uh, but I respect other people's opinion as well. They were we'll from Martin Gray from the Two Dangers for a Girl blog. Martin says, The anatomy lesson was indeed a big moment. I knew Alan Moore from his British work, and I had been tipped off by a friend of his British fandom that he was taking over Swamp things several months previously, so I was looking forward to this, and I was knocked out. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. It really, really is. They were from Kichi Baker from Sports and Comics on, uh, as his Twitter handle. He says, still listening to the episode, but when I was 13, I bought this digest and DC Comics taught me everything I needed to know about racism and genocide. <laughs> 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 well, uh, well, okay, Keith, there we go. <laughs> uh,
2: Dr. Ange uh, says, uh, Legion regarding the Legion story, Le- Paul Levitz definitely knew how to check in on the characters and give us these little stories. I remember them more in the Baxter series. Several issues had backup stories featuring Bouncing Boy, the original three members, etc. There were even a couple of issues with only vignettes like these. It was a power of the Legion back then. They all seemed to have individual personalities, goals, etc. As for Gim's mother being unkind to Yara, I will remind Shag that Yara had infiltrated the Legion while working with Imskin terrorists. This led to the real Violet being in a sensory deprivation tank for about a year. As president of the UP, you better make sure your kid isn't marrying someone who is still part of a murdering, rebelling group. (laughs) My guess is she trusted her son, hence the gift bought beforehand, but needed to test Yara's metal. I I understood none of that, but I just I did. read it. I understood uh,
1: every word of it. <laughs> it's,
2: it's completely... He, he, Ange might as well be talking medicine. I would understand that better. But then he follows uh, up with it. We'll see how Shag reacts when his kids bring someone home. I remind all my daughter's suitors that I have extensive knowledge of anatomy and access to drugs that can kill without a trace. Oh, my
0: God, Ange.
2: <laughs> now, the reason I mention that is because this comment is so old that at the time... I think that your your daughter probably was not in, in the dating pool. And now she probably is because it's yes. been that long.
1: <laughs> yes, she is. And uh, I i am relatively friendly, but I make sure to keep my distance and, and the suitors know where I stand.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. By the way, I will insert this before we move on to the next comment. Since uh, the last time, uh, certainly since we did the last, I just guess. But even since the last time Shag and I recorded together, we got together once more. Before we left before Kelly and I left Florida and I got to meet Mrs. Shag and his daughter, Abby, and she is a very impressive young woman. And you have I've said this before in other comments when you've done shows with her, you beam with pride (laughs) on the podcast over your daughter. And it's very charming to hear. And I understand why she's a marvelous young woman.
1: Oh, well, I'm so, I, it was so exciting after 11 plus years for my family to finally meet the guy they, you know, I, I sneak away and talk to every week. I mean, my daughter, she's 16 now. She almost 17. She basically grew up knowing you existed and now you guys have finally met. So it's wonderful. <laughs> she's like this guy? Really? Right. <laughs> now, my wife was very pleasantly surprised that you weren't the freak I made you out to sound like. So. <laughs> Yay for me. Right. You, it's, it's a win. All right. So then we. Then we hear from Ed Bosnar. And uh, Ed says, enjoyed the conversation as usual, even though I never had this particular digest. In 1985, I was well into my first big break with comics, so I wasn't picking up anything, much less the digest. However, in 1984, I was still picking up a few things, so I read the Teen Titans and Legion story. And then much later, I read Anatomy Lesson as well. I can confirm that the last three are at least are indeed very good stories and worthy of inclusion in any best of list. Well, there you go. All right. Thank you, Ed.
2: Very cool. Uh, by the way, I don't know. we ADO. That's Edo Boznar, not Ed Boznar. I don't know how we got in the comments there. It says Ed. I don't know how we dropped the O on his name, but it's Edo.
1: And at the end of his comment, he wrote, (laughs) and on my name, which seems to confound everyone, yes, Ed is fine. So, therefore, I changed it in the notes, Rob, to Ed since he told me I could. I pay pay attention.
2: But he signs their – okay, but I'm saying he signs their – all right, fine. So, anyway – (laughs) Chris Franklin, Chris Franklin, who you all know. Uh, he said, somehow I missed this issue, which is a shame because it was a few years later that I finally got a copy of NTT number 38. Who is Donna Troy. This is Dick's last great story as Robin, because in the very next issue, he gives up the red, green, and yellow forever. Thankfully, I found that one on the stands in real time. I had no idea. That's really cool. Uh, I also bought the action comics issue right before the stands. This was one of the first comics that really made me appreciate the people behind the comics. Betraying Superman's creators as two young dreamers who imagined him out of thin air is almost historically accurate if you don't include the influences of characters like Doc Savage, Gladiator, etc. But they still managed to coalesce all that into a figure never before seen, just like in the story. Wonderful. Great discussion, fellas. Oh, and I think it was me who began beating that drum about DC never giving the classic Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate, his own series. They tried everything else, but they never, but never the actual guy folks actually fell in love with, which is just nuts.
1: Yeah, again, as 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 a huge fan of Doctor Fate, it drives me crazy. We never just got a straightforward Kent Nelson series. The closest we got were those backups that Keith Giffen did in Flash and uh yeah. as as Cisco said as a follow up, they should have called all those later Doctor Fate books less fun comics.
2: <laughs> all right. I didn't ever heard him say that. That's great.
1: That's great. Uh, then we hear from Mike Dynas. This is great episode, gentlemen. I'm always happy whenever a Digest cast comes out. Well, it's been two years since Mike's been Sorry, happy. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can bring him happiness again. <laughs> uh, and it was great to hear it covered one of my favorite types of Digest, a year's best stories. Uh, when I was a kid, these digests usually were my introduction to a lot of the characters featured. He says, I've been listening to all your shows for so long, it made me recently buy some Blue Devil issues, the ones featured in this digest, and the entire run of Atari Force. I'm really starting to become a Blue Devil fan, and I blame Shag. That is awesome, Mike. I hope you still are a Blue Devil fan, and I hope you truly enjoyed those and read your Atari Force. And if you have, you're ahead of me, because I bought the entire Atari Force collection probably nine years ago and still haven't read them.
2: Yeah, the uh, the Kickers, Inc. have replaced them at the top of the reading pile. I've
1: read been. the first four of those, and they are better than people remember.
2: <laughs> okay. Brian Linton says, what a great collection of stories. If the other editions of yours best are as good as this, then I may have to check the series out. I would also like to add my endorsement to Shag's and Stock Trades recommendation. Zatanna and the House of Secrets served as my daughter's introduction to the character, and she loved it. In addition, yeah, that's great. In addition, I appreciate the fact that DC's current line of middle-grade and young adult graphic novels have spotlighted so many interesting female characters, such as Wonder Woman, Catwoman, Raven, Oracle, and Cassandra Cain's Batgirl. Very cool. I love that. That's great.
1: DC really, really made an effort. Uh, two years ago, they were doing it. it. It looks to me on the surface that they're still doing it, uh, with a lot of these middle grade stuff. And, uh, it's really great. Uh, awesome effort.
2: Yeah. That's terrific. Uh, Captain Entropy says, by the way, I got together with Captain Entropy while I was down in Florida, which was awesome. That was a great, uh, great breakfast we had together. It was so great to be able to, to finally meet him. That was super cool. I'm jealous. Uh, uh, yeah, it was really a lot of fun. Thank you so much for getting together with me, Captain. Uh, anyway, he says, gentlemen and Lazanne, podcasters and commenters, you have said everything I would have said about both these stories and this episode covering the digest that came wrapped in. And that's great because I have no time this week to write one of my typical long winded comments. This network never stops taking care of me. Just know that this was a lot of fun, Robin Shag, and I needed it. If I were your probation officers, I would count this toward the community service census you've each turned <laughs> stalking <laughs> comics creators over the years. Uh, asterisk. Thank you. I am available as a character witness, but only for fictional characters. He says, "Oh wait, I guess I do have something to say. This is one more awesome Pat Broderick image with Firestorm nowhere in sight. It's the Ragman entry all over again. Sorry, Shag."
1: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, Pat Broderick is so amazing, and uh, Captain Entropy makes me laugh. That makes me happy. (laughs) He's
2: very funny in person, too.
1: So the last comment on the world's uh, on the year's best comic stories comes from Michael Bailey from the Fortress of Bailey to pod, uh, podcasting network. Mike says, "Weirdly, I'm not a fan of this Action Comics issue reprinted in the digest. It's not a bad story, the art is rather good. I just have a weird thing about their the quote, if there was no Superman, we would have had to create him." End quote. Stories. Meta commentary is fine, but there's a line and this story falls right across it. Not overly so like Grant Morrison has the tendency to do. I don't know, maybe I'm just broken. It's possible. But then he goes on to say something that I, I just, I, I'm so glad to hear someone say it because I, I feel this way too. He says, Late Bronze Age Superman is such a mixed bag anyway. It's this weird mix of really good stories that seem to be trying to bring Superman into the more modern sensibility of the time, but peppered with 80s versions of 60s plots. Most of them are enjoyable, but I have a hard time reading a bunch at a time because it just gets to be too much. Oddly enough, Marv Wolfman was one of those writers that was trying to modernize Superman. And yet I didn't dig on this story. And that's kind of how I feel like the Bronze Age Superman. I I really dig the trappings of the Bronze Age Superman. But man, reading those comics is such a slog for me because he's right. They still feel like Silver Age plots. So uh, I couldn't agree more, Mike.
2: Okay. All right.
1: All right. So let's move on. So now we're going to dive into the fictional digest that Rob and I created, Aquaman and Firestorm, uh, where we sat there and made up our own digest on what we, you know, what we would have done for these characters. So why don't you take us off, uh, start all us right. off,
2: Rob? All right. First one is from uh, Ed Bosnar. Uh, he says, I like all your suggestions for potential Aquaman and Firestorm digest. And I think Rob's proposal for Aquaman is damn near perfect. I would perhaps make, uh, maybe only replace one of the proposed stories with the one Shag mentioned, i.e. the story with Black Mana and Ocean Master. Mm-hmm. In fact, I won't even bother trying to make my own proposal for a hypothetical Aquaman Digest because my own criteria aren't that rigorous and are mainly tied to artists, i.e. I would just want to ensure that it included at least one story each by Ramona Freyden, Jim Apero, and Don Newton. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Yes, I mean, my yeah. God, yeah, Aquaman had a lot of great artists. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you so much for uh, saying you would enjoy that, uh, that hypothetical digest I came up with, uh, Boston Moss says, when I opened the gallery to read along, I thought you guys were a little light on the artwork this time around. Then I listened to the episode and understood you either do what you did or have a bazillion pages of examples from each of the stories. Good choice. Less is more though. A list of the choices in print would be nice for just in case we actually want to read these stories in order. Thank goodness for the internet. Another fun episode, I love the nuggets Paul puts in the closers. What a thrilling choice for this one. And then he follows up with, Paul? Not sure where that came from. Sorry, Rob. Said as he listens at work for the 12th consecutive day, sometimes work from home sucks. So I simply responded with, no problem, Cleveland.
1: (laughs) Now, I I will tell you, uh, Cleveland Moss, uh, it was a conscious choice to not list out the issues in the notes because we wanted people to listen to the episode. Like we wanted to roll it out as we discussed. Because otherwise everyone would have just looked at the notes and been like, Oh, that's what they picked. So we, mm-hmm. we purposely mm-hmm. did not put it online for the, to get you to listen to it. And you know, if you really want to put the list together, then listen and just jot it down as you go. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, then we're here for Martin Gray again. What a fantastic pair of digest you came up with, and the covers are stunning. Yeah, so I, I don't know if you remember, Rob. We each came up with a cover. You came up with a cover for your Aquaman. I came up with mm-hmm. a cover for Firestorm, but we didn't tell each other we were doing it. We both That's sprung right. it on each other like a day or two before we recorded. We're like, what? You? Right. I was like, hey, look what I did. Oh, wait, you what? What? We both did that? <laughs> uh, and then Martin says, I loved hearing Rob's picks for the Aquaman Digest and Shag's picks for the Firestorm's Digest and the one Shag otherwise might have picked. And the one shag would have picked for the trade, and the one shag would have picked post nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I, I kept, I, 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 I did make my one digest, but yeah, I mentioned like a thousand other books I wanted to include because I just love Firestorm; I couldn't stop myself.
2: Uh, Mike Dinah says, uh, "I love your digest design, shag and Rob, so visually striking." I know I would definitely want to bug my mom to buy those for me if I saw them in a store back in 1986. The Aquaman just design, not only does it have the Canadian price, represent, <laughs> would make a great shirt, too. This was a fun episode, and I cannot stress enough how much, you guys, have really made an impact on my life. I'm really trying to live your find the joy mantra. I will keep trying to fan the flame and ride the wave. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much, Mike. That's wonderful.
1: That's awesome. And a little secret for those of you still listening. Mike Dynas will get a chance to find his joy and will be appearing on this very network. On uh, as a guest in an episode coming up very soon.
2: I didn't know he was a fan of Cheers.
1: (laughs) They were from Dr. Ange. This is great choices for both Digest, but any Firestorm Digest that does not have DC Comics Presents number 17 is wrong. It brought Firestorm back from limbo and has sweet JLGL arts. You know, Dr. Ange, I strongly consider that one, but I picked a different selection for Killer Frost, so that's the only reason I didn't include it, because you're right, that's a hell of a great comic. Then uh, he goes on to say, as both characters have such great covers in their history, I'd have included a few pages devoted to iconic covers. In particular, this would have been a great vehicle to showcase Cardi Aquaman covers. That's yeah, a neat idea to like, you know, d- to make the page count work because of the way signatures work mm, in print.
2: Yeah. Could have yeah.
1: Some... I want to say I, I included a pinup to make the page count work in mine, but yeah, covers would have been a great idea.
2: I don't get the, the, the reprint books for both companies. They were really anti covers. Like the treasuries never reprint the covers. The digest don't reprint the. I don't know what the. Problems well, with the if conference. you can
1: run an if you can run an ad, it's better to do that.
2: I get, I guess so, but to me, it's like it's part of the book. You know, I mean, yeah. it's content. It's really strange. But uh, anyway, so Steve Gibbons says, "I love your spin on the old fanboy trope slash compulsion of making lists about various topics associated with the object of our obsessions." Best of lists are nothing new, but I was fascinated to hear the parameters you set for your choices, i.e., creating an imaginary digest collection and the rationale you had for the stories you chose to include. I really want to check out some of these stories on the DCU app now. Thank you very much, Steve. That awesome. was the part of the uh, part of the goal.
1: And it's been so long. The DCU app's been renamed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they right. yeah, were from Mark Baker Wright from the Not Your Father's Autobot, a Transformers Generation 2 comic podcast, and BlackRock's Toy Box. Now, Mark's uh, an old buddy of mine, big fan of Firestorm. So he focused a lot on the Firestorm side of this. He says, uh, I love this kind of what if imagining, which isn't just about considering what are the best stories featuring the given character, but includes the extra limitations, considering the page count, how a story works in isolation, the feeling of one left out, and where the story falls. And he goes on later to mention the, the limitation of, you know, we, we said it had to be in to 1986 print published before them, So I, I'm glad you recognized the limitations we put for ourselves, because that was part of the fun of the project, was it all had to work. Uh, and then he he lists a, mill- a whole bunch of comments about Firestorm, which I adore. and I ate up every single comment, but I don't want to spend the time here. You guys can go out there and read the website. But he does say, uh, with apologies to Aquaman fans, I'm just not as versed in the canon, so my only, co- so my only comments on the Firestorm choices, and the one I want to read is, this is the cover choice, assuming no new cover was used is simply perfect. Yeah, I picked the... Uh, firestorm annual number two cover which had firestorm in front of all of his villains i just love that one so much then he gives rob a compliment yuck he says <laughs> rob wins for the proposal to include the never published firestorm number six yeah that was that was very clever in your your part sir yeah it was your turn to have an idea and that was that was when you had it for that year so
2: <laughs> that was uh, my one one yep. idea for for 2021 yeah i just i mean i was trying to think like in a marketing sense you know like what's the what is something that really could have goose it like oh unpublished material you know yep. that would be yep. really cool Uh, Matt uh from the TV slash Movie Rewind podcast says, Aquaman is an iconic character. Alas, he was overlooked by DC themselves during the height of their Digest publishing. Firestorm, however, was added to the lineup of the Super Friends cartoon. That would have been a great opportunity to sell a Digest to all kids that were introduced to him on Saturday mornings. Yes, absolutely. Even though these Digests will likely never see print, you've both given me a list of stories I obviously need to check out. So thank you. Thank you, Matt.
1: Awesome. I hope you did that. Over from Chris Franklin, of course, uh, from our network, he says, I would have bought these issues in a heartbeat. It's a real shame DC got lazy and went all Superman and funny books. Towards the end of the Digests, I rolled my eyes every time I saw a Binky Digest. And he says, you're better than that, DC. No one wants to knock off Archie Digest. Where are the other Justice Leaguers? Well, we now can confirm, Chris, you only had to roll your eyes four times at those Binky Digests.
2: <laughs> I'm glad we didn't do Binky and his buddies this month. Chris, Oh we'll my not gosh. be listening to this one.
1: Right. So, <laughs> uh, Captain Entropy,
2: who in person? Not that impressive. He says, oh! happy anniversary, Jack. <laughs> he says happy anniversary gentlemen this was a fun and fitting celebration of something that became bigger than you probably ever imagined creature that devoured detroit indeed Woo-hoo. great work on this episode too i also i noticed that you also managed to feature three different aqua logos on your cover rob on earth entropy where my doppelganger runs dc secret, <laughs> secretly marvel and another identity both versions of both digest would immediately go on the publishing schedule ah,
1: oh. i knew i knew i liked this guy thank goodness for the multiverse thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> uh then tim price from the right eye network does shows like outcasters uh batman and the outsiders podcast, and more he says this episode was lots of fun great choices i'd buy these digests for sure awesome tim thank you yeah
2: uh ciscoid of course from our network says that you guys are pros i didn't even know what i would put in a digest of my favorite characters or even who that character is mm. i mean could i would it be like a doctor who digest like of those comics, maybe would that. Uh,
1: maybe Doctor Who. Well, I, they could, but uh, they that might be tough because there's it's limited. I I think he would do a Doodles Duck Digest. <laughs> uh what's this going to do?
2: He is, I will say, in the private network uh, Facebook. There, he is always talking about Doodles Duck. It's like God, shut up already! But I know, really. Like, oh, can we? Pl- can
1: we please get back to network business? No,
2: something. No, I get my milk in a bag. Doodles Duck. So, uh, (laughs) cheap joke. Derek William craft from the fanals podcast network says, now you guys have me dreaming about a Craig Hamilton, Aquaman and Tom Mandrake and John Ostinger, firestorm DC absolute edition collections. Congratulations. I mean, if there is any artist that deserves an absolute edition and has not gotten one, it is Craig Hamilton, man, that mini series chef's kiss. So I don't even remember what we said in that episode that we brought that up, but but, yeah, that that is such a crime that that thing is not – Craig Hamilton's work needs to be seen big, big, big.
1: Well, And the Mandrake Ostinger stuff, I mean, I don't know if it deserves an absolute edition, but it deserves to be reprinted. It's so good. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, so, Sean Myers, of course, again, from our network, who was not part of the network when he wrote this, and now he is. And we figured it was better to have him uh, inside the tent pissing out than inside outside the <laughs> tent pissing in. <laughs> Says Robin Shag, please, please, please do more of these episodes with guest stars who love their favorite characters. I'd love to see new Digest with characters who had never had their own solo issues under any of the various Digest titles and probably wouldn't have been given an issue due to perceived lack of sales interest. I'd be happy to, to assemble a Deadman Digest with you or for you, and my imagination is going wild to think about other future episodes of the podcast that would feature fans of characters talking about the stories they love. Again, this in the private thread, guys, Sean will never shut up about the digest, ever. And 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 taking us to task that we don't do this show enough. So I'm going to say this on the air. Sean, put your money where your mouth is. If you you're part of the network now, if you want to do a digest cast, you know where we are. Okay?
1: There. I said it. Wow. The gauntlet has been thrown. Okay. <laughs> now, Sean listed out, in addition to Dead Man, a whole bunch of other characters that would have made fun Digest. And, and there's a couple of people that challenged me to put together a Blue Devil digest. And it's tempting, but I don't know that he had a long enough publishing history to make it work. But I, I, you know, uh, a fantasy, uh, not fantasy baseball, but a fantasy digest again might be a fun idea on something. Maybe. Yeah. In fact, Diablo Frank took up the challenge. So Diablo Frank from the World Spine Podcast Network does the Martian Manhunter blog, Idlehead of Diablo, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He said, since I already did a fake Treasury edition, I guess I ought to do a fake Martian Manhunter Digest to ride the coattails of your anniversary. And sure enough, he did it. Over on his Idlehead blog, he did a Martian Manhunter Digest, which Sean responded thanking him for so much. Because Sean is all about the Fantasy Digest. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Frank. All right, so next episode, we ain't gonna tell you. Because we're <laughs> because anytime we say something, we prevent it from happening. So no, no. we're just going to make sure that the next digest cast, whenever it's recorded, whether it's recorded next month or recorded two years from now, it's <laughs> going to be something that brings us joy. Is we're going to make sure of that. That's what, aren't we?
2: Absolutely. We do have some some plans afoot for the next. We're, I will promise it will not be two more years until the next digest cast. So why did you
1: say that?
0: Now you fixed it.
2: No, I can say that, but I'm certainly not going to promise what the contents will be because I did that last time and that didn't really work out, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: So folks, uh, go out on our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. Go out to the digest cast show. Go to the episode, this episode, episode 16, leave your comments about either the funny stuff kind of characters about digest in general, maybe some more fantasy draft, uh, digest you want to see any of this stuff. We'd love to hear from you. I also, uh, leave a review on iTunes would be much appreciated. And then, uh, Rob, we have a Twitter handle. Is that right?
2: Oh we do. It's just at digest what what is our Twitter handle? I forgot what it was. Is it digest cast? Digest cast
1: it's digest cast, you idiot. Is
2: it digest cast? Okay. I don't You run it. I know, but I only use it to retweet things, so I don't remember what it was. I forgot whether it was Digest Comics or Digest Cast. It's Digest it's, Cast. I uh, just
1: looked it up. It is, in fact, Digest Cast. I don't, even, I don't even think I have the password to get in, so it's pretty much just Rob, folks. <laughs> anyway, so, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for coming back after so long, and I, I hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun doing this. So, And remember, folks, as always, big
0: things come
2: in small
1: packages.
0: I'm glad you guys could come all the way to Earthsea. Me and Captain Carrot didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but no one deserved to die like that. I never met the captain or his zoo crew, but since you vouched for him, I'm glad to be here in their time of need. Why didn't you tell me they look like cartoons? I'm good. Damn it. I'm sorry. If you can't keep it together, you need to leave. I
3: know. No, the look! Li- wearing goggles!
0: I'm sorry. I- I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, so- I'm sorry. It's just that. <laughs> I am sorry! I can't. Your friend was very inappropriate. We're so sorry, Little Cheese.